God really is here. And he's brought his whole character, who he really is. Provider, victor, healer, everything. It's awesome. I hope you've had just a fantastic Christmas. And um, you're able to really remember what's really important this Christmas season. You know, it it gets pretty crazy, doesn't it? When you uh, have all the shopping to do, and then the wrapping, and then the food preparation, and going to all those parties, and eating all that food, and visiting relatives. Man, lots to do, isn't there? Finally opening up all those gifts. It's been a really busy time, hasn't it? Really busy. Maybe you try to even squeeze a few extra things in this Christmas season. Just, just 10 days ago, um, the Olympic torch came by. Did anybody get to see the Olympic torch when it was in Oshawa? Okay. A number of you got to see it. Lori and I, Lori and I are, um, uh, really have captured the Olympic spirit. We, we, uh, I, ever since I was a little boy, I loved the Olympics, cheering on Canada. And since, Can- uh, since Lori's come to... Uh, to Canada and um, immigrated with us. She's become a citizen. And this year, this year, she, see, the American patriotism just continues on into Canada. So um, she, uh, she was so excited this year that she even thought she'd like to kind of try to be one of those torchbearers. And so she uh, checked online, and then she got thinking, I was like, what a, this is crazy. I got four kids. It's Christmas time. I can't do this. And, and uh, yet we talked about it, and we, uh, we discussed, well, if it comes through Oshawa, the torch comes through Oshawa, we should at least go see it, let the kids go see it. And, um, and that was like earlier in the year, and we forgot about it. And so a week ago last Wednesday, I was sitting in my office, and I was discussing ministry plans for the coming year with a friend, and, and he said, hey, John, um, by 2.30, I need to leave because the Olympic torch is going to be in Bowenville. I need to get back there. And I'm like, Really? The Olympic torch is going to be here. I didn't even realize it was going to be in this region today. And, and so uh, uh, we got done our, our meeting, and uh, he, um, he left, and I looked online, and I said, the Olympic torch is coming right up Harmony and onto Taunton. That's really close to where we live. And so I thought, I'll just call Lori and get her to get all the kids all ready, and I got one more meeting to do this afternoon, and then I'm going to go and check out this torch. And um, so I'm calling, and you know, it's busy, and I'm not getting through, and keep calling. It's like an hour and a half of, of, of nothing. I thought, oh, man, well, Lori must be on a deep conversation with somebody, and so I, uh, I, I finally, I get through my second meeting, and I, I rush home, and I'm like, Lori, what, where, why are you on the phone so long? And she's like, well, I wasn't, and, um, you know, our little baby Luke, he just loves phones, <laughs> and so uh, he had taken the, the receiver off the hook, and throwing it down, and, you know, for an hour and a half, there was no way of communicating with her. And I said, well, Lori, you know, just another block over is the Olympic torch. we got to go see it. So let's, let's get all the kids in the snowsuits, and let's get over there. I think we got time. And so um, we get everybody all ready, and uh, we get out the door, and I'm carrying Luke. And uh, if you can just picture it, I'm carrying Luke like this, and I'm kind of going pretty fast. And there's my son, Josiah. Uh, he's right behind me. And then there's Jesse, who's a little bit slower. And then there's, um, there's uh, Lori and, uh, and Noah bringing up the rear. And Noah is only three, and he says things like, my, uh, my little wags. You know, and uh, I can't get me very far. She, he just has a real struggle with, uh, with words, but also getting quickly to some places. And so um, 
I, I get to Story Avenue, and I look out, and there's the, there's the police cars and all the, the lights and everything. And I'm like, hurry, kids, we got to get there. And so we're running, and, and I'm carrying Luke, and I'm rushing, and I'm running, and here's Josiah, and here's Jesse, and, of course, Lori and Noah are kind of going a little slower. And um, we get there, and I meet one of my neighbors, and my neighbor's like, um, ah, you just missed it, like, just two minutes ago. Of course, I was very frustrated at this point. And I said, we stairs, we don't give up. We're going to go back, we're going to get in the car, and we're going to go up Beatrice, get onto Wilson, and get up, because I think the torch is going right past Taunton. So that's what we do. We rush home, we get in the car, we get onto, uh, up onto Wilson, and guess what? Traffic's backed up for a couple kilometers. And so we're inching forward, we're inching forward, we're inching forward. And I thought, oh, man, if we, if we could just get there, if we could just get there. You know, things were pretty tense for me at this time. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, guess what I see in front of me? Well, you know, way up there, I see flashing lights. And I think I see a little flame. And I'm like, hey, kids, there's the torch. <laughs> Do you see it? It's right up there. Isn't this a great family experience? <laughs> and, of course, uh, Noah, who's three, you know, the middle child, classic middle child, Child can't see over the car, so he's like, where, where, where? <laughs> and it was, just a, it was just an awful experience. It was just an awful experience. You know, I, I, was, I was chasing after something, but in the end, I got nothing. Maybe that's been your pursuit this Christmas. You've been chasing after something, but in the end, you really got nothing. Well, I want to flip that all around and... Um, reverse it because that's what god does he always reverses things and i want to tell you as we we think about in between christmas and new years as we look forward to the future and think back about this past year that uh what my goal is going to be this year is that i become nothing that i become nothing yeah you heard me and so i want to ask you what about you what's your goal let's pray Father, as we open up your word, as we open up our hearts, I pray that you would help us to uh, be transformed by them through the power of your spirit. Lord, maybe we have been chasing after some things. Maybe we've been trying to be something. And in the end, it turns out that we gain nothing. And Lord, I pray that today we would would stop that. We We would see your great kingdom ethics, how you reverse everything, and how you... You do things so counterintuitive. You're so radical, wild at times, Lord. And I pray that you would, you would help shape us today. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to find um, something that was declared by one of Jesus' great followers, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22 starting in verse 22 and going through verse 24. Just, just three verses today. Here uh, we find that Paul is in Ephesus. And this is a place where um, back in that day he had, he had helped uh, start some churches, had a real heart for, for the church in Ephesus. And um, he's, he's kind of on his last journey, and uh, he, he's going to say goodbye to the people at Ephesus. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. Says this, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, 
not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Before we can talk about becoming a nothing, we need to kind of stop and pause and evaluate ourselves and say, have we been really trying to become something this year? Maybe something today. Maybe something this week. To do that, we kind of need to look at three areas of our life. The three areas that expose this reality of, of really trying to become something. And some of you might be saying, I'm not trying to become something. Well, I want you to think about this. First of all, maybe you try to become something by what you know. By what you know. And you think, okay, you know what? I got it going on. I, I know some things. I know what, what's going to happen in this situation. Like, I know quite a bit of things, whether it's God's word, whether it's in this situation, whether it's this experience. You know, I've been living for a long time. You know, I think I, I've got some things that I know. Maybe you're trying to become something through that. Or maybe you're trying to become something through what you think. A little bit different. What you think about yourself in comparison to the world or in comparison to others. So maybe what you're, you're looking at is saying, you know what, I, I'm, I've got it. I've got it going on. Third area maybe we look at in our lives to try to find out whether we really are something is we, um, we think about what we, what we do. And that's what brings great worth to our lives and what we do. Well, today, if you're trying to become something, then I want to remind you, first of all, that that uncertainty and I'm guessing that that confoundedness that you're feeling will continue to be great frustrations. Maybe you've really been pursuing this, this knowledge, this, this ability to know things, to gain more information. If you just gain a little bit more education, you'll, uh, you'll know more about life. And you've been wondering, okay, what should I do in this particular situation? Should I buy this house? Should I, should I take this job? Should I, should I look for this job over here? Should I talk to this person? You know, maybe you've been feeling very uncertain about all these things. I know in, our, uh, in my life, I like to have like about three or four steps planned ahead of time. You know, I'd like to know, okay, God, uh, you don't have to show me everything, but just give me like two or three. You know what I'm talking about? You know, just give me two or three steps ahead. And uh, maybe God will, will, will show me that. But more often, we're urged by God to follow one simple act of obedience one day at a time. It's sort of like we're walking on a tightrope. And um, there's no really, no place to go but forward. And um, all around is danger. All around ahead of us is still danger. But God has us sort of on that, that tightrope experience. And maybe today you've kind of felt that this year where you, you thought you knew something, but then all of a sudden you got that report from the doctor. And if you recall just a year ago, everything was going really good for you. But things have really changed. Or maybe, you know, you had your plan, your pension plan all, all laid out and everything was clicking as far as your employment and all your financial plans. 
And then you realize, whoa, God, you took all that away, and now I kind of just feel like I'm boxed in. I'm confounded. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 22. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Where you feel like there's no place for me to go. I'm just right here. And that's what he says here in, in Acts chapter 20. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. See, knowing nothing but God's constraint often is the will of God. We often think that you've got to know all the steps. But knowing nothing but God's constraint is often being in the center of God's will for your life. You might have been taught otherwise. Maybe you've been taught and said, if I, if I, if I just get all the plans laid out, um, if I make all these great plans, and, 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 and it's for you, God, of course, then, of course, you're going to bless that. But when I see this verse that Paul says that I've been compelled by the Spirit, and I'm going to Jerusalem, and not knowing what will happen to me there, except for that hardship and, and difficulties before me, I'm just amazed. In fact, they wrote this down. The Spirit can move you to danger and warn you about that danger at the same time. Maybe there's some kind of foreboding feeling that you have. You look ahead, just into the, the weeks ahead or the months ahead, and you know, I, I got some trouble coming up. Don't think today that that doesn't mean that, that, um, that you're outside of the will of God. In fact, often we think that overcoming every obstacle is often an indicator of having the Spirit. You know? Isn't there supposed to be this life of ease? However, having those obstacles actually might be an indicator of the Spirit having you. And the Spirit being exactly where He wants you to be. When those difficult times come and those challenges, they start to flesh out God is trying to show you some things. So I'd ask you, what do you really care about? What do you really care about this Christmas, this day? The answer to that question is always found in the, the questioning and troubling times. And I, I'm very encouraged by this passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, because, see, the Apostle Paul sees only difficulty ahead of him. And um, as we go on and we read in other places where Paul has actually written some, some letters during this time of being in chains and being in prison, I find in Philippians chapter 1 this amazing statement that Paul makes. He writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Can you look back at your life this, this year and say, Whoa, that, that was a challenging time. But that really advanced the gospel. Other people saw Jesus in me. Number 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Chains for Christ. I'm boxed in. I'm confounded. I'm compelled for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have encouraged me. Now listen up. 
to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Wow. Paul probably encouraged more people and saw more fruit in his life when he was in chains than when he was, in, when he was free. And so maybe today that's true of you. You're not in prison, but you've been imprisoned by the fact that your goals and your ambitions are no longer being realized. You felt that constraint of the Holy Spirit. And that constraint that you've been feeling is actually being an encouragement to others. And they watch your life and they say, whoa, look at him, look at her. Look what's been going on in their lives. There's something different about them. I want what they have. So knowing nothing but God's constraint could really mean that you're in the will of God. Now, that's something that maybe you know, and that's the first kind of little test. But the second test is really, if you're trying to be something, you're, you're trying to attempt to be a somebody, then that really backfires, because your attempt to be a somebody will lead to becoming a nobody with God. You thought about that? You know, often we'll say, no, I'm not really trying to be a somebody, but think about it. God's Holy Spirit just exposed that, what's really going on in your life right now. You know, you start to think and you start to compare yourself to, to other people and say, you know what, yeah, I'm not maybe as smart as that person, but I'm smarter than her. Or, you know, I'm, I know I'm not uh, Hollywood star material, but I'm pretty good looking and I... I've got it. I'm decent, decently looking, and I, I got it better than this person. Those are the things that go on in our heart, aren't they? But God wants to change that in our lives. He wants us to understand that being a nothing with God always means becoming a something for God. Flips it all around. That's why Paul makes this amazing statement in verse 24 of Acts 20. He says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Worth nothing. That word consider is the word logu, and it, it um, is the word which we get logistics. Paul is essentially saying, I- I've done the math. I've checked out my net worth. Uh, I've added it all up, and in the end, guess what I got? I got nothing. My life's worth nothing. Consider my life worth nothing to me. There was once a preacher who um, thought it was pretty big stuff, and uh, he thought, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those solid pieces in the kingdom of God and the building of God, of God's household, and, and I'm like one of those two-by-fours, you know, that's just right there, solid in place, and nothing can move me. And then God convicted him. He says, you know what, you're, you're not a two by four. You're a one by zero. And I'm the one, and you're the zero. And that's what God's doing in Paul's life. If we're tracking with Paul, at one time that was not the case. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, if you want to turn there real quick, you'll see that that Paul at one time actually thought he was a somebody. It says there that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He followed the rules exactly. 
He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in other words, his family, you know, he could trace it back and say, I got this family all lineage rate lined up and I'm good. If he was at Calvary, he could say, you know what, I, I've been at Calvary, you know, 40 years, all my life. My family was one of the founding members. He goes on and says that he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, which meant that he was like the religious leader, the go-to person. He was the one who, who knew God's word backwards and forwards. He could, he could rattle off the verses. He could explain the deep truths and mysteries of God. He was a Pharisee. He was also very zealous. He even persecuted people who he thought were undermining God's name. He was wrong about that. He was persecuting the church. But he thought he was right. And then in the last part of that verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, it says that as far as legalistic righteousness, in other words, keeping all the rules, he was faultless. He was blameless. Now, I, I can't say that at all. I can't say, wow, I've kept all the rules. I've, I've got it down perfect. But Paul could. No one could probably take him to task on that. At one time, he thought he was somebody. He was, he was something, and something to behold, something to be looked up to. But by the time he had encountered the Lord Jesus and had done ministry, and self had been essentially peeled back in his life, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. So that should be true of us too. Though we shouldn't consider our lives as valuable to ourselves, they are very precious to God. I want to make that clear, what what he means by nothing, because I know that there's some who who might consider, well, that's great, I already consider myself nothing. I I harm myself all the time. I I don't have any self-worth. We're not talking about self-esteem here today. We're talking about the fact that, that from God's perspective, if we try to go it alone and if we try to look at ourselves and put ourselves forward, then we will be coming nothing with, in his eyes. And so what are you trying to become? What math are you using? Are you using your math? You know, education plus, plus money plus family plus faith you know what? If I was going to rate myself on a scale of 1 to 10, I'll give myself a 6. That's my math. And God's math is, no, you're, you're nothing without me. Isn't that what, what Jesus said? I loved how Charles reminded us of that verse in John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and my words remain in him, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. One by zero. That's what we are. With God, we have everything. Without Him, we have nothing. So what are you trying to become? What are you trying to become? To become a nobody with God. Well, that third area is about doing, isn't it? as we evaluate ourselves and think about this past year and going forward. 
And um, if you're trying to become something, usually if you're trying to become something, you'll try to, to get rid of all the bad stuff. And you'll try to distance yourself from people who will kind of bring down your reputation, bring down um, you in ways that could, could get you off track. And so you, you try to get rid of hardship in your life. And if you're trying to become something, then you'll think that hardship means it's time to, to give up. It's, it's time to quit. It's, it's time to, you know, say the race is over. I'm just going to get over to the sidelines. I want to tell you today that being a nothing does not mean doing nothing. Being a nothing does not mean doing nothing. Notice what Paul says in verse 24 of this passage. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Wow. I love this. Paul is saying there's two things that I must do now. I must finish the race and complete the task. That's really the journey with Jesus and the job with Jesus. It's the race and it's the, the work that he has for you. That's why we need to look at this and say, wow, the race and the, the journey, the journey and the race and the work, it's something that God has given us. It's a gift. So he says, if I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The journey and job with Jesus is always a gift. And treating our, our walk and our work with Jesus as a gift helps to eliminate the expectations and the disappointments along the way. We might be willing to just give up and quit because we're disappointed. We, didn't, we, we thought that God owed us this thing. We expected more from him. And often we can treat the gifts and turn them into debts. I think we often do that even at Christmas. You think about it. We, we make a list and say, this is what we want for Christmas. And um, we open up all our gifts, and then if we don't get everything that we want. Maybe we're a little bit disappointed. And um, we start to think, hmm, in the back of our mind. Wow, uh, I thought I asked for that. Don't they kind of know that I really would appreciate that? And don't they kind of maybe owe me that because I got them a really nice gift? That's how we sort of treat the gifts. And we get that confused and translate that even into our relationship to God. We think that that God owes us these things and we forget that the journey, the, the... the relationship, the walk with him, and the, the, even the work and the ministry that he's given us is just great a privilege. It's a gift from him. And so we are reminded by this because Paul tells us what the real task ahead of us is. What is the task that we're trying to complete? Well, the only task for all of us, no matter what, what your title is, what uh, company sends home your paycheck and says, this is, your, this, is, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to be doing. The real task before us is this, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's what the Apostle Paul says. That word testify is actually the same word that we see in verse 22 and 23, where it says that um, 
the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. The Holy Spirit was witnessing. He could see ahead and he can say, this is what's going to happen to you. And so our same task is to warn and call people to repentance and call people to a life of receiving the gift of God's grace. This Christmas, isn't that what it's all about? If we think about the gospel. Becoming a nothing is exactly what Jesus did, if you recall. Becoming a nothing is exactly what Jesus did. In Philippians chapter 2, that same letter that Paul writes, he says this, that, that we should have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God. In other words, he, he was God in every way. Something to be grasped. He didn't hold on to that, but he emptied himself. And he made himself, in verse 7, nothing. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. You know, I, I just, I'm just boggled when I start to reflect on the fact that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who made himself nothing for you and for me. That he came down to earth and he, he became that little baby in that manger. In that stinky, smelly little manger. Because he was so rich and yet he became poor for our sake. There's a proverb, and I've been teaching through Proverbs to our young adults each Sunday morning. And in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 9, it says this. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. You think about that for a second. You know, it's better to have that kind of person in your life that is loyal to you some pretty important truth but jesus takes that one step further in the new testament he says it's better to be a nobody who is a servant who comes to be a servant he becomes nothing so how do you do this well it's rather simple it's rather simple to proclaim to you it's very difficult to do it's really these simple things humble yourself and obey god humble yourself and obey God. That's how you become nothing. That's how you follow Jesus, as he did. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross, it says in Philippians chapter 2. Now, a week ago last Saturday, Pastor Duane and I were at um, an Islamic center, a mosque, and uh, we, we had the privilege of sharing the gospel with, um, with these, these Muslims. And um, at the end, there were some questions and answers. And all their questions were centered around the central issue because we explained to them that, that God's gift of his son Jesus was a gift to them and that they could have that. And their, their questions were always like, well, yeah, but doesn't God's grace nullify obedience? Um, you know, isn't like a get out of free jail card, you know. Um, you don't have to do anything anymore. You don't have to obey. And you, you got salvation. And what's there to really give your life to then? You know, aren't you supposed to still keep the rules? And we said, oh, you, you're very confused. When we talk about the gospel, 
it makes it pretty clear what Jesus said, the last words on before he left earth were, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And that order is very important. Go make disciples, and then teach them to obey everything I commanded. Not go obey and then become disciples. Very important. We live our lives as a thank you. We sang that just a few minutes ago. Of gratitude and of obedience. And that obedience is because of what he's done in our lives. So we just need to humble ourselves in the same way Jesus did. And obey God. Obey God. Some of you might say, this might sound a little cheesy, but uh, some of us need an acronym. We need something to remember how, how, this, might, how this, this becoming nothing in our life might work out. And so you've probably heard lots of times this Christmas, ho, 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 right? Merry Christmas. Well, I just thought, okay, next time I think of ho, ho, I'm going to think the H stands for humble myself and the O stands for obey, obey God. Humble yourself, obey God. That's how you become nothing. That's how you become nothing. That's how you follow Christ. So today... Will you become like Jesus? Will you become nothing? Will you do the same? It will mean witnessing God's grace in your life. I don't want you to miss that. Let's pray. Father God, I pray today that you would, you would help us not to miss out on testifying of God's grace in our life. We don't know what's going to happen this year. We can look around and some of us are no longer here that were here for last Christmas. And some have testified to your grace in a powerful, majestic way. And Lord, I pray that you would call us to an emptying of our, our ambitions and our self and now follow the Lord Jesus and become nothing so that you can become great in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This past week, uh, my family and I, we got to go to London to visit my parents. And um, God is such a God of grace. After just in a complete embarrassing time trying to see that torch, uh, we were in London, and we come to find out that the torch was coming to London. <laughs> And so, guess what? We got to see the torch. And we got the free stuff. We got, the, we, we got to the parking lot ahead of time, and they passed out free Cokes and free banners, and it was really cool. God's a great God. And, um, and there was nothing wrong with pursuing just a simple goal of seeing an Olympic torch. God wants us to make sure that when we do little things that we we don't get confused by pursuing something and missing out on the nothing that he wants us to in every way live for him what's really cool about this picture is you can see that uh the handoff was right where we were at that was a added bonus for us it made me think that today jesus christ who became nothing is handing you off the torch. You only have a short distance to run it. Only a few years on this earth. And he wants you to run it. And he wants you to run it in a way that he gets all the glory and all the praise. 
And so will you do that? Will you become nothing this year? Become like him. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this day that you would, you would call us to become nothing and therefore become something for you. Help us to finally be used by you. Help us not to be distracted by anything that would, would get in the way of the goal of finishing the task and the race that is before us. Help us to realize that it is all about your grace and we live in that way. And then we can humble ourselves and obey you because of it. And if you believe that with all your hearts and you, you agree in Jesus' name, would you please join me in saying amen. Amen. Have a great Christmas and New Year. Thank you.